So what are we doing again? X-Men. Spoilers. Check. Mature language. Check. Should listeners be advised? Check. Welcome to the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. I'm a Luke Machine, and with me is... Diablo Frank. And, Mr. Fix-It. And today we're going to talk about the uncanny x So, Mac, j- just like in a nutshell, explain the concept of X-Men to like visiting aliens or like a young child or something that would somehow not be familiar with them. Sure thing. The uh, quote-unquote X-Men are a group of fucking, like, not mutate. They're, are they mutated? They got a, no, they're they're, they got a gene, they're right? They yeah. got a gene. Mutated they're called, gene. I just don't know, is that PC anymore? I don't know. Whatever. Back in the 60s, we called call them muties. Um, anyway, so they're just genetic offshoot of humans, and they have these wild, amazing powers. The X-Men were founded by a gentleman named Professor Xavier, and they named the team X-Men after him. He, as a mutant himself, decided to train and help teach these young mutants how to use their powers and you know kind of fight for the forces of good against the forces of evil while also helping them deal with um again controlling their powers and how they live their lives as these young adults growing up in a world that is scared of them and fear them and you know, to kill them. Et cetera, et cetera. yes lots of racial parallels um you know stuff like that that's all i got mac chronologically x-men's chronology what is the earliest story you can think of that you've read featuring the x-men um, Dark Phoenix saga. You, no, no, no. What was before Dark Phoenix? What was the fucking one where uh Wolverine ends up in the sewer and he's covered in shit? The same one. Same one. Okay, yeah, that yeah, I've read all that. Okay, that's as far back as I go. I now, didn't. Think I, I did not read this uh chronologically. Obviously, I went back and read it. But yeah, uh, and uh, so you like you didn't have any like Avengers appearances, like you know Magneto turning up and fighting the Avengers, or, or uh, I think the Avengers and the X Men had a mission together at one point in the early days. You didn't read any of that stuff. I mean, I had X Men versus. Avengers, but didn't that take place after the Dark Phoenix? No, 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 I'm talking about like in the Silver Age. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, shoot. No, shit. Shit. I'm sorry. I was right the first time. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think, um, you know what? I don't know. When did the first time a Mutie popped up in one of my Avenger books? I can't tell you offhand. I can't tell you offhand. I apologize. Uh, how about you, Mr. Fixit? Oh, shit. No, no, no. Rogue. It has to be Rogue, right? Oh, uh, uh, Avengers uh, Annual 8. Yeah, but that was right? actually after, I think, Dark Phoenix Dog. Was it after Dark Phoenix? I think Dark so, Dark? yeah. Okay. Uh, but what about you, Mr. Fixit? What's the earliest X Men comic book or featuring the X Men comic you've read? Um, probably something along the lines of The Fall of the Mutants. You've read earlier than that. I mean, I'm not talking about the first time you ever read them yourself. I mean, oh. going back into their history, the earliest stories you've read featuring the X Men. Oh, just like the original books that they came out? I think the the first one where Mimic showed up. So this was like the, the around the 20s or 30s? Stan Lee run, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Stan was already gone by then. I think Arnold was Drake he? was doing it by then, yeah. Okay. I, I believe Mimic one was the first one I ever read. Like, went out and sought out and found and read. Just because you thought the power set was cool? Well, yeah. Well, because Mimic just seemed cool. He had all the powers of the original X-Men. He had Beast, Angel, Cyclops. Um, if I'm, I think that's the first one I, I, can, I can remember reading because it looked really cool on the comic book 
on the shop's wall, and I bought that one. And I, when I started collecting was when Fall of the Mutants, definitely when uh, the Brood story arc came out with Wolverine ingesting an egg of the Brood. I remember it really hooked me. Um, I didn't realize until deciding there was time for us to go ahead and cover the X-Men that I had never read the first issue of X-Men. And I started reading it, and I realized that my, my familiarity with those early issues of X-Men came from Marvel Saga. Do you guys remember that series? Yes, I do. Describe it. Uh, they would just do reprints of old stories. They would mix, what, like two or three comics in there? I, it, was, it wasn't so much reprints of the cold comics. They would take a panel from a comic book, and then it'd be like dense text around those panels explaining what happened in a whole issue. But usually a comic book issue would be covered in, in a span of a few panels, and they were done chronologically based on when they were supposed to happen within the Marvel comics themselves. Uh, so if, even if you had something like the origin of Wolverine, they would have taken place like before the Fantastic Four's mission. They would address that first, and then they'd go into the mission. So it was it was it took into account retroactive continuity and tried to tell the story of Marvel Comics from not necessarily its earliest days, but a, around when the company got started and some stuff that happened a little bit before that happened. So I remember that's how where, how I knew the story. I I never read X Men Number One before, and I tried to read it for this, and it's really fucking boring. And even though it's Stanley and Jack Kirby, it feels super phoned in. Uh, for starters, like when we went back and we read the origin of Iron Man, we we're surprised how sophisticated it was and what a great job was done with that one. You know, we, we weren't expecting the mo- a lot out of it, and it turned out it, there's a reason why it made a great fucking movie because it's a great fucking origin story. And then I look at X Men number one, and the the team's already there, and so you've got Xavier in his chair. The, the, it's the iconic image, and I'm sure you all seen it, where Xavier's in his chair and the four male X Men are rushing up to him, and they're rushing up to him because he's about to put them through these paces. He's got a prototype version of the Danger Room where he's going to sh- have them work out their powers and show what they can do and he's constantly shouting okay you have three seconds to do this you have 15 seconds to do this and so you're immediately disliking Xavier because he's kind of a dick to his charges and he, there's no real reason why he's what do you guys think of Professor X tell me a little bit about what you know about that character he's and your a feelings about jerk <laughs> uh, you're referencing the, the Kitty Pride story where uh, you got a splash page where it's all about his, her relationship with Professor X and he's a jerk I don't know I, I, don't, I don't have any impression of it you know what I I don't remember a single line of Professor X dialogue in any X-Men comic book I've ever read in my entire life. But what does it deal? Is what does he do? I, what is it? What, what, what is his deal? Yeah, what does he do? Oh, what he like his power? What he do? I thought he was just the money. Well, it also like, had all like these CIA the connections he and provided shit too. The mansion, he provided the toys. He kind of gave them a guidance of which way he wants the team to go. But Cyclops kind of ran the team, and he kind of told Cyclops how he wanted the team ran. Um, I mean, he ends up becoming onslaught. I mean, it, a lot of bad shit comes from him fucking spoiler jesus <laughs> you'll we'll jump ahead 30 oh, wait, wait, years one. legion is his father Ooh, no it's that? legion's his kid oh there you go I'm, my bad that's right legion <laughs> yeah is his kid. xavier's an interesting guy because he has those extraordinary telepathy telepathic powers and the early issues he has this nasty tendency where the x-men would be fighting some villain and he'll just kind of roll up in his wheelchair and then mentally turn off somebody's uh mind and it's like okay x-men you can go put those guys away now you know i've, I've taken care of it and so they always had to come up with bullshit reasons why he doesn't just take care of all the problems himself and obviously one of those bullshit reasons is he's in a wheelchair you know but that's not a, you know a really good reason and I, I think that the, the thing about Xavier is he's sort of like the divorced dad who fucks it's like you see like you think he's like this pristine guy who's like really like austere and he's like you know an unimpeachable character and shit 
and he's just like like a firm, stern disciplinarian and shit. And then years later, you find out that he actually kind of want to fuck the the one of the young girls who was you know one of his students. And you know he went off and hung out with Magneto, this guy who was a Holocaust survivor, but he also kind of embraces fascism and he ultimately becomes this mass murderer. And you know he decides, well, I'm gonna hang out with this dude and play chess with him and shit instead of like taking him out before he becomes a mass murderer. And like he he, he knocks up a chick in Israel and she ends up having this kid with multiple personality disorder who's got like a slew of different powers every personality is a different power and so he's extremely powerful and extremely dangerous and uh, he just constantly like you mentioned the Dark Phoenix saga you know he's got one of his charges who's going to be killed uh, executed by this alien race because she's so powerful she's a threat to the galaxy and you know again he could just roll out and just shut everybody's minds down but instead he like lets his X-Men fight it out with the uh, Shi'ar's Imperial Guardsmen and shit for the life of his charge and the, the whole time he's like hanging out with Lilandra this princess who he ends up having this relationship with and it's like okay yeah the dude's in a wheelchair and yet he's constantly with these hot babes and so I've realized that he's got to be using the telepathy to be smashing these chicks you know sex is pretty much part of the mind and so I'm figuring he's mentally fucking people like Lilandra the whole time his X-Men are out doing shit and and he's probably like this total like king case are you making him out it's, to be a predator I, well I mean again they, they during Mark Wade's run in the lead up to Onslaught they made a point of mentioning that he actually lusted after Jean Grey and of course yeah, one yeah. of the fuck that things that. about that is that he you know he uh, hobbled her powers because she was so powerful so young that he went in there and he put all these blocks in her powers he decided how powerful she should be pretty fucked up you know shit when you read the subtext that way I mean since they're constantly talking about how oh the X-Men is this analog for racial tensions and shit um, it's like well nobody asked you to do that and I guess in the 60s in comics that's something you had to do in order to uh, deal with those uh, types of issues you couldn't be you know you couldn't actually have black people and stuff and, and other people but it's sort of like you look at Planet of the Apes where it's like okay we're going to deal with a black struggle but we're going to do it through British actors wearing monkey suits you guys cool with that and it's like well maybe in the time but in retrospect it's kind of fucked up and maybe you know these aren't the people who should be telling those fucking stories well Xavier's this guy he's like okay well I've decided how powerful you're going to be Jean Grey and who gave him that fucking authority well apparently the ex-Gene did it's like if, if you found out that Splinter from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was actually like a Vietnam vet with PTSD who was like trying to jerk off the Ninja Turtles when they were young in their bedrooms and shit like that. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. I, I thought Casey Jones was that one. Isn't that? Aren't you describing Casey Jones? What? Casey Jones? No, but Splinter's, he, Splinter's the leader. He, you, oh. you think of him as this being this noble leader, and then you turn find out he's a Vietnam vet with PTSD who's trying to molest the turtles because they're teenaged. No. You're, you're I, I, I see where you're going with it. Your I definitely, I definitely. Was a very strange world. I, I, I'm, I'm seeing the parallels. I, I see where you're going with it. But he didn't. But you're saying Professor X in a lot of ways did. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, he's kind of. And people swipe it. They, they sweep it under the rug. But at the same time, this guy is definitely an iconic figure because, like, he, generally speaking, he kind of looks like Lex Luthor, but nobody's ever going to confuse him with Luthor because he's got such distinctive facial features and the eyebrow and, of course, being in a wheelchair. But um, it, it's interesting how... Gloss, glossed over that. <laughs> <laughs> but but nobody ever confuses Xavier with Lex Luthor, despite them looking alike. I, I think that he is actually one of the more distinctive characters in comics. Uh, you know well, what? He's always, I, been, he's always been portrayed as the Martin Luther King of mutants. Uh, I, well, I think yeah, I think that's what he's supposed to be. Sure, yeah. in some the ways, peace, sure. The peace bringer, the the I guess the pacifist. You know, he doesn't take the war to them. It's all about defense. That's what it was, right? He was supposed to be MLK and and, and Magneto yeah, was Mal- Magneto was Mal- more like like Malcolm X. Yeah. Well, why don't you guys talk a little bit about Magneto? Where did you first encounter him? It's got to be, you know what? It's got to be cartoons, right? That, that's probably where I started with all this stuff was all the cartoons. But, uh, um, I, for me, it's the Brotherhood. Secret, Secret Brotherhood Wars. Um, 
Yeah, he's uh, a future past, maybe. X-Men versus Avengers. Uh, he had a big part in that one, too. That's got to be where I first uh, encountered Magneto, as I called him when I was a child. Same here. I had to be taught yeah. Magneto. I, I said Magneto, too. That's the most obvious route for a kid. Um, so uh, what is his deal? Tell us a little bit about Magneto and what do you think about the dude? Uh, I mean, he's it's a bad dude, but also... You Way know, cooler. You kind of understand it. You know, you kind of get it. Wasn't you there know? t-shirts around that used to say Magneto was right? Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe. Yeah. 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 I remember somebody wearing one one time and said magneto was right so is it, you, you know what and here, let, let me let me just say this for a second i don't know if it's gonna steer us in the wrong way but you know what that's kind of a real failure of the x-men movies is because i never hear anybody say nobody ever sympathized with magneto like they sympathize with thanos well they totally should have if those movies were done correctly right he should be I mean, like he had, white he had hair the intro to the x-men movies i remember watching the x-men movies and, i ain't I mean, talking about his intro scene of him you know the nazis dragging him off and he's holding tearing down the gates to get to his family yeah, that's cool. i thought was really deep and then the rest of the movie was just kind of what it was but yeah. you know what i'm saying like if they really did him right i feel like you're supposed to have that shit is magneto fucking right are the x-men the assholes like but i don't feel like they ever really they never did that in the books they did a little bit well no i know the books i'm talking about the movie, oh, maybe, the movie? Maybe, the, the, maybe i didn't specify that uh, yeah i mean the first like i said i i always found it interesting that he was a holocaust survivor so he had that perspective of you know never again and you know whatever it takes where xavier was kind of i don't know i just never been a big fan of professor x He's just, he was, you know, the money, I guess. Well, I think one of the problems with Professor X is that the, you, they've made the Martin Luther King parallel in the past, but he's not the actual MLK. He's the version that politicians try to sell you on now. He's this guy who's always, like, kind of working close with the government and willing to, like, kind of suppress his own mutants and hide his own mutants so that they don't, they're not inconvenient, you know, to them. And, of course, he sends his mutant strike force against Magneto, this guy who's overtly trying to prevent forces that are actively trying to ex- exterminate, you know, mutant kind. There, there's especially over the course of the series X-Men series you have more and more forces that get built up with the express purpose of committing genocide against his people and Xavier's kind of working with the government to be like the cool mutie who's going to like you know cut a deal or something so when you look at it from that perspective you know Magneto is like the Eric Killmonger of the mutants and if, if they conveyed that correctly if they hadn't demonized them to such a degree and actually played out the politics that they're trying to set forth with the so-called MLK uh, Malcolm X example he would not only be more sympathetic but he have to question whether or not really seriously have to question whether or not he was right especially as things escalate and there's a, a greater effort to kill all of his kind yeah, and so I don't, I don't know if it's a sign of the times that you have more people siding with Thanos or Eric Killmonger in these movies, and, and you know, Magneto is just obviously the bad guy in the X-Men movies. Like, again, maybe if they reboot that stuff in the MCU, you'll kind of start to see this ambiguity, and people will be more willing to take Magneto's side and be vocal about it. Um, but I, in my memory of just an X-1, Magneto is just obviously a bad dude. Like, he's just obviously the bad guy, and that's really not – if that's where you're starting, you're already kind of screwing up the X-Men from my understanding of whatever made the X-Men. X-Men, cool. Right, wrong, right, wrong. No, I agree, I agree. Okay, back to the comic books. Sorry to get us on that movie rant. Okay, uh, so let's talk about the X-Men. The, probably the most iconic X-Man, at least from the early days, was Scott Slim Summers. Tell me a little bit about him. You want to take this one fix it? I shoots lasers out of his ruby visor um, to, you know, go in depth like his brothers Havoc, and they can't hurt each other because apparently they both project the same power, which I never quite understood where their power came from. Um, he's in love with Gene Gray obsessively has a thing for redheads apparently because it happens quite a few times where he's either banging Gene Gray or a Gene Gray lookalike though he did have a small run with uh, Storm I believe really um, I don't know about that I know that he's he definitely has a thing for telepathy didn't they allude because... to it like they were having a relationship when she was in her Mohawk phase no no 
no, definitely not in the Mohawk phase. No, nah, those guys were almost straight up enemies at that point because he was like Johnny. I was the found co-founder of the X-Men. I should be leading the team. And she's like, I've been leading the team. You, you're time to go. It's, you got to get out of here. They had a fight for the leadership of the X-Men. So no, definitely okay, not romantic. There's one where he's blasting and she's in the corner kind of jumping. I thought they didn't they have like a relation or no, maybe I'm thinking Forge. Yes, you are thinking of Forge. Forge definitely had oh, a relation with Storm. That's like her number one bow. Um, yeah. so yeah, but he also clearly has things with telepaths because before he married Jean Grey, he kind of flirted with the possibility of hooking up with Psylocke. Uh, and then, you know, later on, he, he got full on shacked up with the uh, Emma Frost, the white queen, uh, this reformed, he, you know, but then he date, uh, what's her name? The one that turned the demon queen or, oh, Madeline clone? Pryor. She was married to her. That Madeline, was his wife. Yeah. And well, of course, wasn't she like a clone of Jean or something. She, she was a clone of Jean created by Mr. Sinister because of some of the, uh, slights that were perpetuated against her during their marriage. Uh, she was seduced by a demon named Sim to become the Goblin Queen and full on, you know, retaliate against her husband and his wayward ways. So what do you guys think about Cyclops, though? I think Cyclops is annoying, but is, I mean, you got to have that guy, right? You got to have him. Doesn't he keep things interesting by being so, you know, his person, I think his personality in the group is strangely valuable to making compelling stories. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, because to some degree, if you look at the first issue of X-Men, all the guys have sort of kind of the same personality. He really does stand out because he is the stiff kind of like teacher's pet, but also, you know, field leader, determined, straight arrow. Actually, to some degree, it's the absence of personality, the absence of charisma that defines him because he's just like such a straight shooter, no pun intended. Yeah, and I I think I think that, you know, later on with Wolverine and Jean Grey and all that stuff, I think all that stuff is way, you don't have all that without Scott. And I think that's all like, you know, that's some iconic conflict within the X-Men and you don't have it without Scott. So as much as people kind of shit on the guy and, you know, maybe deservedly so some, but again, the fact that he's there for you to shit on him means that he has, I think that gives him purpose, which is kind of a weird purpose. Well, he's, well, he's kind of a ball breaker too with the team. He was always pushing him to train, train, train. Uh, and he was obsessed with getting Xavier's um, approval. What do we call it? Approval. Yeah. Like almost like a fatherly approval. So, I mean, that kind of made him a little dynamic in the book. Well, I mean, uh, Ryan Daly changed my perspective somewhat on Cyclops because I tend to think of him as the stiff that would get into arguments with Wolverine. Of course, I was like team rebel, team badass. But he pointed out that this dude was a, a, a orphaned young or presumed orphaned young. He pretty much had to raise himself. And, you know, when you're in those kind of dire circumstances where you're go- growing up in an orphanage and you've got no resources, and then, of course, he has this mutant power manifest where he can't fucking look at people without blowing them apart and has to, you know, go to, I think it's Xavier who devised the way for him to actually control those beams because without his ruby uh, quartz visor, he's just constantly would be blasting lasers out of his eyes um this is a guy who desperately needs a father figure and xavier controls his powers gives him a purpose gives him a home is the first father figure he's had since he was a younger boy and it's all about you know pleasing this father figure and that character makes a lot more sense when you look at it in those terms Ooh, i like that that is a different layer plus he was pretty awesome in marvel versus capcom <laughs> yeah he's pretty good in the game Dude, optic blast one of my favorite moves yeah uh, but there is another thing though with cyclops is that it seems to me like a lot of people that like the original x-men he was like their mr x-man their favorite character including john byrne who was a pivotal artist in x-men one of the most popular artists to ever do the characters helped popularize them and and of course became a superstar and a hugely influential creator but also had major tension with chris claremont the prime writer associated with x-men in their most dynamic days and they had a 
pretty acrimonious falling out. And it seemed to me that, you know, once John Byrne wasn't there, and of course he was clearly had his preference for Cyclops, it almost seemed like Claremont intentionally demonized that character because he had him do all sorts of sordid shit afterwards that really tainted the views of people toward that character, especially of, of our generation, since that was those prime years where he's, he's doing fucked up shit like again, shacking up with a clone of Jean Grey, having a baby with her, and then as soon as Jean Grey shows back up again, he deserts them in Alaska to fend for themselves, and they get attacked by a sentinel, and all this fucked up shit happens to them, and eventually his ex-wife comes back on him, and after a fight, she apparently dies, and they go in the, the the original version of her, gets to raise her son, you know, as her own and shit. got to be... A cable. Cable. Yes. Yeah, goes goes to the far future, infected with a techno virus, and then eventually comes backwards Wait, in time. You know, I didn't spoilers, catch... What was that? Spoilers, spoilers, yeah, spoilers. Yeah, well, not the spoilers here, clearly. Another thing that gets me, too, is I think that demonization certainly impacted on me, because I'm a big fan of Dick Grayson, Nightwing, and one of the reasons why I love that character... Never, never fucking heard of him. Yeah, I've never, I never knew that about you, man. You didn't know the I liked Nightwing? Really? Nah, no. that doesn't make... Okay, so anyway, so, so I, I, you know, I, lo- I loved the new Teen Titans, and I, I loved his role in it, and he very, very much has a Cyclops-like role. But the difference is, he just continues to be that, that rigid team leader, but he's also kind of young, and so he makes mistakes, and so he's a little bit more fallible than, say, Batman, his mentor. Um, but they never demonize him, and so I, I, I like that character, whereas I have all these problems with Cyclops, and I think of a lot of it has to do w- with the character flaws and the personality flaws that were ingrained in him by Chris Claremont, uh, who may have intentionally been going after this guy because of John Byrne's love of the character. Uh, and, you know, big-time spoilers, Cyclops eventually turns to the side of Magneto and becomes this, this you know, literally like a demonized figure who's, you know, hated for the damage he does to mutant kind because of his uh, betrayal of Xavier's principles. I, I haven't read anything recent, but I, I, I've picked up a few things here and there. For a while, he was a villain, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think he actually died. Uh, I think he might actually How still be dead. How many times has he died already, man? Yeah. Well, it's and it's very complicated, too. We'll, we'll deal with that a little bit later, though. Uh, let's talk about Angel. What can you tell me about Warren Worthington III? All I know about the Angel is from the Marvel Universe Handbook. Tune in to the Marvel Universe Handbook, where Diablo Frank and Mr. Fix-It discuss Angel. Right? Didn't you guys talk about that shit like a week ago? Did we do Angel together? It's been a while. Yeah, because I was like, actually, I was surprised at how in-depth the two of you went in it, and it was just like, I was very proud of the two of you. Just keeping it real right now. Yeah, that's how you want to. Very proud of you, too. Thank you. I preferred him when he was Archangel. Yeah, you said that. Yeah, and I stand by (laughs) I I think you jumped right for that, too. I stand by my state. So, actually, that being the case, then, I really need to hear a little bit more from Mac, then, because we don't know Mac's views of this guy. I agree with Mr. Fix-It. No, I'm just joking. Um, So, like, dude, Angel was always just always seems super lame to me, dude. You just fly around. Like, talk about the most basic superhero shit. And, and, you know, Archangel was definitely the cooler looking of the two, and he did get a little more street cred, especially for the night. He looked badass in the 90s when everybody was just fighting to make yourself look more badass than the other character. He looked badass. Um, And, you know, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Like, this is all much cooler shit than, what's his name, Warren Worthington the third yeah. floating around with you know who, what I mean and wasn't he like the pretty boy with money too like yeah, yeah exactly much. horribly unlikable character yeah and again the, the wings are a problem because the wings don't retract so you automatically have to have this whole situation where he has to strap down his wings against like his thighs and stuff when he's walking around so that people don't see his fucking wings well, and then when, as when you said the next factor didn't he have like a big backpack he would always be putting on yeah well they, they did the whole thing where they were basically the ghostbusters they pretended to, yeah. to hunt mutants when they're actually collecting mutants to help them train uh, but he we, had like a backpack he was always running around with this giant backpack I thought it looked so goofy his proton pack on his back yeah. and he's strapped uh, but yeah it, it's like when you think 
about the physics of it too. You know, bird wings aren't the best thing to, you know, if you're going to fly, there's always people who fly unaided, you know, just because they, they just up and fly. And so when you think about the physics of a guy who's got wings, like, well, birds have like hollow bones and shit. They're really lightweight. That's why they're able to, you know, hoist themselves up in the air and shit. So wouldn't this guy be weaker than the average person? It's like, and, and again, because he's propelled by his wings, it's like, okay, all you have to do is target the wings and this guy goes down. Um, there's this extended bit that it happens twice in the first issue of X-Men. I think it really jinxed the character where he's like doing the danger room sequence and uh, he needs to be saved because all he can do is fly away from shit. And what especially got me is later on when they when he fights Magneto, Magneto launches these missiles at the X-Men. And so Beast is like just using acrobatics to jump away from, around the missiles and they just fly by him and that's it. For some reason, the missiles are able to target Angel and so he's just trying to fly away from them and all the other X-Men have to save him from the missiles that are locked in on him. So he never even actually saves himself and he's already got like the most basic power because so many characters like you look at somebody like Superman if Superman can't fly he's not really Superman but he also if he can't lift up heavy shit he's not Superman because he's got to have the super strength too or he's not really Superman anymore and then with Angel there's so many characters who have the power of flight who have a better version of the power of the flight a version that makes more sense that yeah it's, it's really hard to get behind this character and it seems to me like the only reason why he was even in the book is because there was a kind called Angel in the, the 40s there's like a vigilante character and I think they were just recycling the name and he's the most obvious way of representing that but it, it took 30 40 years before they finally figured out something to do with him because his whole thing was after he left the x-men he was in the champions and he was in the new defenders and the role was always i'm the guy who flies and i pay the bills because i'm rich so it's hard to get behind didn't he like always that. like didn't he always carry somebody to a battle or something like that i mean, I mean occasionally yeah but that's the thing okay. he'd, he'd take an effective he member the uber of mutants yeah and he'd transport them you know it's like is that all you got and it's funny too because he was the icon that they had above the x-men logo for years and i, I think it might have actually turned people away from the book rather than attracting them to it well until he became archangel i still think you know those those uh images of him with the helmet with the skull on it and those rows and rows of razor sharp wings behind him are a great image that's the angel i'm always going to think of. just turning his skin blue it automatically True. makes him multiple times cooler just as simple as that just that one thing makes a difference agreed excellent point about the blue skin so let's talk about beast matt could probably carry this since he's got a, maybe a little bit more familiar with beast than he would any of the other x-men uh, i thought this was an x-men podcast not an avenger podcast you guys <laughs> no i'm just kidding do you want to know where my uh my most uh probably the first beast story i ever read was in marvel comics presents oh wasn't he doing he was doing backup marvel comics presents wasn't that rob liefeld or did you get one of the jay Dude, lee ones bro i don't know I, it sounds more like jay lee i don't think it was rob liefeld. well it was actually started by uh, rob liefeld and of course he couldn't keep up with the schedule and he had the shit he wanted to do i think he was working his way towards the big changes in new mutants he was doing that as like a side gig so when he left jay lee took it over and so and that was like the first thing jay lee really did at marvel internet save us but i just remember the story like he was dating some nurse and she got murdered and he was trying i think he was trying to figure out it was, okay marvel comes in somewhere 85 to 92 are you talking about uh, fatal attraction oh that was later then and that was oh. that would that, that's probably after the story i was thinking of it was both rob liefeld and jay lee oh it, it was that late in the run 91 wow no that, like the year 91 right yeah okay i didn't realize the book had got i mean it was a bi-weekly book i guess they got the numbers up quicker than i thought so it says uh, rob liefeld co-penciled um the first two parts only the rest are fully penciled by jay lee uh don hudson helps ink issue 89 only uh rob liefeld apparently mentioned in the story he mentioned the story in an interview in marvel age uh a while before this was published and he just handed the unfinished project off to jay lee rather than doing the 
actual collaboration. Yeah, so this was the only – this was my first, like, full-on – I was a big Marvel Comics Presents guy, so which will tie into Wolverine, too. Um, and really, this stuff – I don't think any of this shit really had anything to do with the X-Men, did it? I don't think that this story had anything to do – maybe it did, maybe it did. I don't remember. But, uh, but yeah, I just remember that he, he had, like, a nurse who was, like, his girlfriend, and she gets murdered in it. And I, it was, like, super gory. The page where she dies is super gory, and I was like, whoa, made an impression on me. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. Beast. Also, also, just everybody loves the Beast in the Avengers. He's badass. Well, okay, he's, but, he's, he's a comic but which, wait, what, Explain what, who what Hank McCoy is, is, though. Like, who who is this guy? What is his thing? Hank McCoy's a doctor. He turned a big furry blue dude. That's about it. Well, he was already a big dude, like muscular dude with big hands and big feet that like, gave him like extra agility and shit like that. And then he was trying to. He was he was the guy who was most overt. He could not hide his mutant abilities. So even more so than Angel, he was really out there and he didn't want to be. And so he was in such denial about his mutantism that he actually tried to concoct a solution to take it away from himself and instead he sprouted blue fur all over himself and and became more literally a beast in a series of solo stories from the 70s and fun fact can't believe i forgot this part my first child very large when he was born huge hands huge feet and when he was born frank came to the hospital and said he's a fucking beast <laughs> Your wife gave birth to Hank McCoy, and we both had we had a very you know long laugh about it because I think I had slept maybe twenty five minutes for the prior three days. It was excellent. He's beast. He's fucking Hank McCoy. <laughs> Good times. So, what about you, Mister Fixit? What's your relationship to the character? Um, I I really remember reading a story where him and Iceman are chasing down a mutant who has the ability where she kisses people and they mutate uh, into like these. Uh, the the Simonsons did that right, and they're like the some yes. like, early days. Yeah, the. That's- that's the one I really remember reading because it has that great cover where I think she's on the cover and they're they're dangling like earrings from her ears or something like that. Yeah, well, I think she was on a couple of covers. I think one of them was a yeah. spotlight on her kissing them, and then another was um, the one with the earrings. But also that was yeah. like during a period of time where uh, Beast had managed to stop being blue and furry, but at the co- and he'd become more had become stronger. But his brain, he, this guy's a, a genius. I don't know if he's a biologist. Yeah. But, yeah, he had a genius intellect, but his big thing is like, was it biology? or chemistry everything both? dude poetry i mean he was <laughs> well but the, the whole thing is he, he managed to stop being furry again but he was becoming increasingly less intelligent no. and it wasn't like maul and wildcats where it kind of came and went it's like he was like progressively getting worse almost like an alzheimer's situation and one of my, the funny thing is so i like beast but i've always liked dark beast that was uh later on introduced because it's like a version of beast if he didn't give a fuck like he well was it should a be bastard. pointed out he's from an alternate timeline yes where xavier was killed and the uh, era of the mutants was defined by one of the great nemeses of the mutants apocalypse. Yes, and Dark Beast was introduced, and I always found the the flip side of both of them very strange. Where Beast is kind of the lovable beast on uh, you know the Marvel version is this lovable beast. He's you know po- he's quoting Shakespeare. He's bouncing around. He's smart. He always has the right thing to say. He's hanging upside down reading a book with glasses, which always was cool. Um, you know he was just like the fun guy, and then you get Dark beast and you have this dark the darker version of him that if he had gone that route was really because he's so fucking smart that he's always creating plans and you know messing with genetics and so it was it was interesting so i i, I like beast I've, I've always found him as a fun character and see i think we have to get back to mac with this too all the x-men at various points in time particularly because the original members had split off in the 1970s and they weren't really in the x-men books as much 
And a lot of these guys got trials as solo characters or another team. And, you know, Beast had a somewhat successful run in Amazing Adventures. You know, not, it wasn't gangbusters, but it lasted a little while. And then, of course, he moved on. He was in the uh, the Defenders at one point in the 80s. But the big thing was he joined the Avengers. And he was actually like a, a guy who, for a long time, there was probably better known as an Avenger than he ever had been as, a, as an X-Man. Did you encounter Beast in those, you know, days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the, all the, all the Perez stuff. He's been through all the Perez stuff. Um, and is one of the more, you know, he he's the comic relief. So yeah, everybody everybody loves Beast. Beast is great. He's kind of like the the uh, he's the X Men's thing. Yeah, but he's also because be, he's not so broody and whiny about the way he looks. No, I know, but but I mean, it, he translates into other books just better than everybody else. Well, he's very the, recognizable, uh, right? right well, yeah, ball, yeah. But but the thing can carry his own book. Like Invisible Woman, Human Torch, Mister Fantastic can't, or Mister Fantastic. Sorry, I can't talk. Cannot. Whereas the Beast can can do that. He can do um. Uh, Marvel Comics presents. He can go and become an Avenger. I feel like the the Beast for some reason has a little more uh, depth as far as where he fits in the Marvel Universe than all these other characters. And I don't fucking know why, but he's sort of like the ever-loving blue-furred Beast. He, he just, everybody loves him. He was um, always looking like, for love. Yeah, I know, well, of course, now, okay, we're talking about, like, my era of comic books. Yeah. Now, I understand everybody's a fucking Avenger, but back then, it was sort of, it was like, holy shit, he's an X-Men and an Avenger? Like, this is super, it's weird. Now, it's not that big a deal. But back then, it was a big deal and he fit in great and he was part of a really good run of Avengers so um well that was back when there was a real prestige to being an Avenger and now like you said everybody gets the fucking card yeah 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 and it doesn't and, go the other way I mean Tony Stark's not gonna be a fucking X-Men right <laughs> yeah not a two-way street they There's tried to be a they, guardian of the galaxy maybe well they, they actually tried that they had this thing called uncanny X-Men if I remember no sorry uh, um uncanny Avengers I think it was and they tried to intermingle the two teams uh and it, it just never really worked it's just the, it, it, it was two things that didn't combine well and never should have been together in the first place and it was really apparent when they actually did it but uh, one thing that's interesting with Beast too is he had this friendship with Simon Williams the Wonder Man and as a DC guy one of the most beloved uh, buddy comedy duos is Blue Beetle and Booster Gold but probably a full decade before that you had Beast and Wonder Man going off and having adventures and, and being the two buddies on the, sh- uh, the their book and I, I think that influenced buddy comedy in comics the, that particular pairing good call yeah I, t- I totally forgot about Wonder Man um, again, like this, look how versatile this character is. How the hell did he just end up all over the Marvel Universe? This is so bizarre yeah, compared it, to all these other dudes who just it never. I mean, Wolverine is the the exception, obviously, but um, all these other X Men are freaking like you're X Men. That's who you are. Whereas I feel like Beast is just for some reason like the thing could cross had all this over other crossover pers- uh, popularity. Well, and you mentioned the thing too, and in that very first story, it's weird because they haven't figured out who he is yet. So he's actually rather thuggish, and he he kind of sexually harasses somebody in the issue it's like really beast where he's much better known uh, in later appearances as the guy who's very verbose and has a, like an extraordinary vocabulary and he's the kind of guy who's never going to use a 10 cent word we can give you a five dollar word instead and having his little goofy sayings and such and it's weird because I think they, they actually damaged that character when they decided that the X-Men didn't need a thing anymore. They needed a Mr. Fantastic. And so they made him like the brains of the X-Men and he was constantly in this role of being their scientist and their like government negotiator and stuff, kind of replacing Professor X in that capacity. And I don't think he's been nearly as popular since then because they decided to make him less humanoid. He became, his, his image looks more like the original version of Beauty and the Beast, the French version, where he's more cat-like. And he's constantly stuck in a lab or in a government uh, meeting and so the character just isn't as winning anymore because they don't let him be 
the beast that we all knew and loved at one time. Right on. And so we get to the final X person. Uh, she is the last to join the, the team. It's one of the reasons why I think this first issue of X-Men is not one that really resonates with people because, again, it starts with all, the team already together and then this one new member comes in, Jean Grey, and it, it is a pattern we've seen a number of times in X-Men media where a girl comes in to join the group and she's sort of given a sense of, you know, what here, here we're going to use you as an opportunity to explain what we're doing and how we do it and all that kind of stuff. And so that person is Jean Grey. And so she shows up. She really doesn't even know why she's been sent to the Xavier School for gifted people and it's oh because you're a mutant honey and uh, we're going to give you this uniform and it's funny because she's like oh this is such a sophisticated uniform such a gorgeous uniform and I personally think that the X-Men costume is like the ugliest fucking costume in comic books the the black and yellow bumblebee suit what do you guys think of that fucking thing yeah it's pretty terrible I didn't particularly care for it and they all had to fucking wear this shit too and um well, so Cyclops she, had a cool one co- cool costume is, is that that one where he had the uh, the head cover well he had the skull cap um, but they Okay, all, yeah. in the early days they kind of all had it. he was the guy who mostly kept his costume or he, he mostly kept the original suit and because he's like the schoolboy, I think it works for him where it doesn't really work for the other characters especially Jean Grey she looks terrible well I, I, especially when you compare it to the other notable team that has like the uniform which would be the Fantastic Four which their original costumes are fantastic no pun intended um, it, with the four and then you have like sort of the white collar and the white you know what I mean it, it, it works so well and then you look at the X-Men's and they are pretty crappy it, it kind of makes sense why they've changed uniforms a million times over and of course she had the power of telekinesis initially later on she added telepathy uh and again i think it was because of blocks xavier uh, gave her uh, but what do you think about her as a character and, and her impact in comics in general mr fix it i thought you were gonna go first i mean i can go look uh i i don't have to i mean look for her she's kind of like a character like scarlet witch for me where she's just like you just spend all your time telling me how incredible incredibly powerful she is um that it, it kind of gets a little tired after a while where I just feel like there's just so many stories that revolve around Jean Grey being the most powerful person on the planet. It makes me a little tired. But beyond that, I, honestly, like her actual personality traits, other than being somebody who Cyclops, like I know Cyclops' personality. I know Wolverine's personality. I know Beast's personality. I don't really know if I know Jean Grey. And that may just be, again, I, I was an Avenger guy. I did not read a lot of X-Men books, so I'm definitely not trying to shit on the character. I'm just saying, personally, I don't have a lot of, there are not a lot of memorable moments like, oh yeah, that's a total Jean Grey thing. Like, Oh, yeah, when she sassed off to so-and-so, that's a Jean Grey move right there, dude. Like, I don't have that in my head. I mean, she was a dark phoenix and the was it the Black Queen. And she she always seemed fractured. Like, they didn't know who she was. She was whoever they needed for the story. So I kind of agree with you. I don't know who Jean Grey is either. Yeah, I, I, and I, I agree with all, uh, both of you guys uh, because she's always kind of been the girl. And so she's like the girl that the guys want to be with. And she's the girl who co-founded the X-Men. And she's, you know, but in terms of, like, her having... A life of her own, ideas of her own, goals of her own. She's just, she's the X-Men girl. She's Marvel girl. Yeah. Right, right. Like, is that weird? Because she's such a pivotal character in all these stories. Yeah. She's always defined by some external thing, a a power that she acquires or who's in love with her or, you know, what mission is. She can't control her powers and she's always freaking out. And that kind of comes later, you know, but but yeah, exactly. But it gets old really fast with her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the the, the more easily forgettable one I would say, because they 
he was already on the team, but I completely missed him, and it, that's been the case for most of his existence for me. Uh, Bobby Drake, Iceman, um, who it's weird because in the, the earlier stories, he basically turns into Frosty the Snowman and, and with you know Cavalier boots on, and somebody thought that that was going to be something that kids were going to gravitate towards. I'm sure part of it was that you had the Human Torch, and they were looking to do well. We've got a fire guy, so we'll do an ice guy. But in it, reading that first X Men story, it's weird because he's a couple years younger than everybody else. They make a point of saying that he's 16, and it's weird too because they, there's a thing where all the guys are hot for Jean Grey when she first shows up. It's especially weird when Beast is all in business and getting all Joe Biden with her and shit. Actually, fucking kisses her, and she uses her powers to kind of you know put him in his place and shit. And then you've got Bobby's like not really into the girls, and like decades later they decided that he, they were going to retroactively make him the gay one. And it's funny because it's kind of there in that very first issue because he's the only guy who's really not that into the, the girl that shows up at the at that point has been an all boys school for apparently some time since these guys have to be at least 18 years old they've probably been training for quite a while there uh first of all not gonna let the joe biden anything slide you dropped that in that was hilarious two um you're right i guess i didn't ever thought about that that, that this was like an all boys school until she showed up I, i've never ever thought about that before in my life mr fix it yes uh i don't know do you want to talk anymore about marvel girl miss marvel marvel girl slash or, angry or slash Darth Vader, i mean slash i i mean i like Iceman. queen i i enjoyed them in the uh, oh well, my bad holy country. shit i totally forgot we talked about gene gray <laughs> you already forgot about, about him man damn that was fucking meta sorry i know uh, yeah i know Iceman from spider-man i know i, I know about uh, Iceman from spider-man and the amazing friends and that's fucking yeah. it. Yeah, i figured um, that was your first exposure too right fix it yeah pretty much the cartoon i didn't know who he was up to the cartoon um, so for folks who've never seen that was it, it. i mean he was him and him and beast kind of piled around for a while didn't they sort of but uh, okay tell us a little bit if there are people who don't know what this cartoon is why don't you tell them a little bit about what the cartoon is that's uh, an old cartoon where spider-man firestarter and bobby drake iceman are college students by day crime fighters by night i my understanding was it was supposed to be spider-man iceman and the human torch but at the time the human torch was being used so they created firestarter for it well no i'm gonna say i think uh you're getting her confused with the prodigy song um <laughs> it's, it's firestar or drew barrymore one of the two firestarter we said firestarter well i always thought she was supposed to be from that was it that stephen king movie or which one is firestorm. it? firestorm yeah drew barrymore Fire, where, where yeah. the little kid who's got the pyrokinetic powers what they like to call it with her what does she keep what does she say she says uh stop it and then everything catches on fire water boils walls explode well they eventually established that firestar actually has microwave powers so that's why she doesn't burst into flames <laughs> like the human torch does gives her Wait, a little bit of name? Firestar? i always thought it was firestarter no firestar oh, oh wow for real i to this moment i always thought her name was firestarter well and i'll tell you this when i was a kid i because she looked so much like mary jane watson i was trying to figure out how mary jane watson got fire powers you know it just <laughs> it, it, i always struggle with that uh, and it's also funny too because they would occasionally play around with you know uh spider-man's dating her or iceman's dating her but it always seemed like a bit of a put on with iceman so it's funny i think that that meta text was always sort of there we just overlooked it all those years by the way i did not know this there's only like 24 episodes of uh um that show amazing yeah, Spider-Man it, is amazing it didn't friends. run very long yeah really but it ran three seasons but one of the seasons is only three episodes long and among those episodes hold on one second you queuing up for the prodigy where it's like shaved in the middle with the two sides sticking out like bubble to clown yeah that was, he didn't he die recently did he yeah i didn't know that the the prodigy guy or one of the prodigy dudes died yeah yeah i think he died which was it was it in a fire prodigy guy died was it in a fire mm, keith flint passed away in 2019 yeah that was that guy oh was it yeah, what did he, he pass away of oh man let's see death internet say 
things? Uh, instance to conclude a suicide verdict. Oh, shit. We're going to say uh, unknown. Possible overdose. I think that's probably what it was. Was it overdose or suicide? We don't know. Uh, I've seen his haircut. I'm going to go with overdose. <laughs> yeah, right. The second season of Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends was only three episodes. I think two of them were about telling the backstory of who Firestar is and who Iceman is. And so, of course, they did flashbacks to the early days of the X-Men for Bobby. And with Firestar, she came in when there was another group of people. So they got to introduce some of the more popular X-Men. But certainly for me, probably one of the first exposures to the concept of the X-Men would have been Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. Uh, also, I was looking that there was a subscription ad that had Beast in his... Uh, 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 shitty costume, the original X-Men costume, where I think he's either lifting something heavy or balancing on something heavy. And so I remember seeing him, and also there was an ad for the all-new, all-different X-Men, which we'll talk about in just a bit, where it showed like the original team versus the more modern team. And so I remember seeing those house ads when I was a kid. So between those three things, but certainly most prominently, as far as introducing me to the concept of the X-Men, was Spider-Man's Amazing Friends, especially because when I was a kid, X-Men really wasn't on the stands, because this was not a very popular book for a long time mm-hmm. and so I, it was cartoons that gave me that exposure I wouldn't have had it otherwise I also I, I used to watch the Marvel superheroes which took panels of comic books and animated them very badly it was done back in 1996 I saw those on VHS yeah and, and they used to run them on I think 39 when we were kids and because they didn't have the rights to the Avengers team they replaced them with the X-Men for one or two of those co- cartoons say that one more time were you asking the, a question or were yeah, you making a statement no I was making a statement is for some reason i think they, they lack the rights to the avengers for the cartoon for the purposes of the cartoon like licensing or something is either the avengers or maybe the fantastic four which actually would probably make more sense so they replaced them with the x-men in that story that barely animated story gotcha gotcha, so, gotcha. i got two questions was firestar a mutant and did she ever get rolled over into the marvel universe yes and yes a uh, firestar oh. was created for the cartoon uh, uh, probably to replace human torches as mentioned because there's a, a long established history in the comics of spider-man and human torch being buddies no such relationship with Iceman is all about, I guess, paralleling Human Torch's powers. And um, so she was created for the show. I think that's why she looked like Mary Jane. And because they wanted to have that synergy, Jim Shooter, who was running Marvel at the time, was really big on trying to maintain a, uh, a united front in terms of how characters were represented in the media and in the comics. And so they actually did a four-issue miniseries where they introduced Firestar into the Marvel Universe. And then, of course, Mac, as an Avengers fan, had several years of Firestar as an Avenger. Did I? When was she a fucking Avenger? I don't remember this. The Kurt Busiek, uh, George Perez run in the like oh, the Heroes, she? Heroes Return. Oh right, she's in that George awful post Heroes Reborn. Yeah, she was in her shitty New Warriors costume. I think it was, she yeah, was in New Warriors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like like she had a jacket or some shit and black and red costume. It was one of those things yep, where it's yep. like you really love these iconic Avengers and they just kept foisting these lousy you know side characters on you like Justice and Firestar. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, no, 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 that's for you. Are not making that up. That is, I think I blocked that out, but you were not making that up. Did you guys ever read any of these early stories with the X Men? Any of the stuff from that when the, those five people were the mem- were the team? Just the mimic story. I've read X Men number one decades ago. Other than that, no. Yeah, and not the best villains either. We've got the Blob. Juggernaut was the shit. Juggernaut was a pretty big deal, and of course, that's the evil stepbrother of Professor X, and it's unstoppable muscular force. Uh, no, no one can stop the Juggernaut. Uh, yeah, Juggernaut's cool, but you know, uh, you got the Blob. 
He got the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Toad. Brotherhood. The Brotherhood. Got Magneto. Uda's the Untouchable. Master Mold was a shit, dude. Well, okay. So you tell us about the Sentinels. Okay. Well, those are probably probably one of my favorite villains of the X Men, next to like Sinister and Apocalypse. Well, fuck, they got a lot of good villains, but the Sentinels were always interesting because they are created by a man to police the streets to capture or kill mutants, Uh, and they're just giant robots that are driven by Master Mold. Birth these robots in hundreds, I guess. I don't know. Is is it like is it Master Mold sentience, or doesn't it gain some sort of sentience at some point? Uh, I mean, they get take over every once in a while by some kind of techno mutant or some shit like that. Um, I think they, you know, they did a recent one where this kid had befriended one and it was almost like a pet and it would carry him around kind of like uh, the Iron Giant or something like that. But no, for the most part, I mean, Grant Morrison had that cool run where Master Mold was out in the forest and the, the Sentinels were mimicking the life forms around him. So they're like animalistic looking and bird like, but with Sentinel parts. I just I think they have just a really cool, clean look. Uh, he designed them, right? Who did? Kirby? Probably, probably, but I can't say for sure because Stan and Jack left the X-Men pretty damn early. Uh, most people point out that there's a there's a lot of similarity between the X-Men and the Doom Patrol that came out around the same time at DC Comics. At, but where, you know, mutants are just like, hey, I was born with this power and it manifested at puberty. Okay. Well, the Doom Patrol actually have origin stories. They're, they're freaks who, like, they, they have these life-altering events as adults and, and they become, like, deformed. And so they're brought together by a, a, a handicapped uh, central figure called the Chief and who basically uses their the powers they've gained from their uh, disabilities to, you know, help the world and, and kind of show that they can contribute and that element of the x-men wasn't really in place in the early days but as they progressed you had the racial element you had the being good representatives of their their kind elements and as the series progressed uh, one of the main people who would write those early x-men stories was arnold drake who had written doom patrol stories um most of the art was provided by Werner roth who is a artist that's largely forgotten he was basically a, a wannabe jack kirby clone but just did not have the same chutzpah the same you know huevos that he, he just could bring it like Kirby could and uh, Roy Thomas of course wrote a bunch of the stuff as well and he was the one who really played up the race uh, parallels um, the racial st- uh, uh, segregation and oppression and the like um, but yeah it, it seemed like you know whoever was available would do the X-Men for a little while but it, it, a lot of uninspired stories and especially in comparison to the other Marvel books it doesn't really pop it seems well like. those are the early days though because I mean you start getting like stuff like the days of future past and the fall of the mutants well yeah but the, right now that's that what we're talking about cool. early days so like you know, so like for instance, Jim Steranko, I thought he had a run on X Men because my brother actually had one of the issues. I think it was issue fifty where they introduced Polaris, who was supposed to be Magneto's daughter, and she has the green hair and stuff. And it, I was just looking into it. He did a run of covers that ran like four or five issues or so, but he actually only drew like two of the fucking issues. And it just so happened my brother got one of them, and it looked amazing because Steranko. But a couple issues isn't going to be able to float you for very long. Barry Smith yeah. did one issue. He drew one whole issue. Uh, the big one is Neil Adams. When Neil Adams moved from DC to Marvel, he asked to be given the lowest selling books, the book that nobody wanted, because he was going to be the guy who's going to bring them up and make them successful. And he had a run of about eight issues. You ever reading the Neil Adams stuff? Nope. By that point, they'd gotten individual costumes, and they definitely looked better in those suits. Um, but again, 
it was late in the run. You're talking about they, they get their individualized suits around issue 39, and it was already like the least selling of Marvel's superhero books. Neil Adams comes in, he does some cool characters like Havoc. Everybody always really loved the simplicity of the yeah. Havoc design. It's all black, the white ribbon things that come out of his headset. Um, Neil Adams helped to create the Savage Land mutants like Sauron. Uh, he brought back Magneto. Oh, wow. uh, he brought back Kazar. Yeah, but he only ran for about eight issues, and they reprinted that stuff as Baxter reprints in the early 80s. But again, it, it was only a handful of issues, and it didn't seem to bring up sales enough for it to be worth Marvel's while. I think Neil Adams went over to Avengers and did one of the, the grand Avengers epics, the Street Crawl War. And mm-hmm. I just think that his style looks so much better on the big, flashy, you know, iconic heroes. Where on the X-Men, as hard as he tried, I think he only could he, do what he could... The, there was only so much he could do with the X-Men. I just don't think that they inspired the kind of uh, work that you would see on the Avengers. Do you want to uh, clarify the Sentinel discussion? Sentinels debuted in X-Men number 14. Cover artist Jack Kirby, Wally Wood, Sam Rosen. Writer Stan Lee, penciler Jack Kirby, Jay Gavin, inker Vinny Coletta. So, uh, yes, he uh, definitely, they definitely created the yeah, Sentinel. I was going to say they didn't look... Kirby design to it. Well, but see, I was going to say they didn't look Kirby enough, but when you see them drawn on uh, issue 14 and 15, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it's pretty Kirby. So definitely, I just Kirby. love the fact they're just giant robots too. And I think it was a very few villain. It's one of the few villains that like Wolverine could actually slice up. They could destroy and crush and great really imagery. Great imagery whenever you're fighting Sentinels for sure. Yeah, because I think any other mutant, they would just knock them down or throw them against a wall or wrap metal around them. It was you know, and I think Wolverine maybe sli- uh, sliced the blob once, but didn't do anything. So so the X Men again, not very successful. Just kind of barely putted along for years. Uh, Notably after they stopped paying Neil Adams to draw X-Men comics, they went to reprints. And I think it was the the first time where a mainstream Marvel book, not like an anthology title, just went full reprints. And it it lasted for uh, about three years reprinting the the earlier issues with new covers by guys like Yo Kane before finally the book just full on got canceled. I think that the final issue released, let's see, it appears to have been mid-70s. And um, that could have been the end of the X-Men. Um, instead, what we got was the all-new, all-different X-Men. And uh, y'all guys want to talk about those dudes. Isn't that, isn't that the one where they're sent on a mission and they die on it? It's like an island or some shit like that? Yeah, like all the original X-Men get uh, taken down by Krakoa, the living island. I think the only yeah. one who makes it off the island was maybe Cyclops. And so he goes to Xavier and they have to put together an entirely new X-Men team to go save the original team. And so this like was Thunderbird, the, right? I think Thunderbird was yeah, one of them? Yeah, we're talking giant-sized X-Men number one, which has become yeah. one of the, like, it's probably one of the most desired comic books of the Bronze Age. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Well, I mean, you know the cover. You want to describe the cover? Yeah, it's the one where the old X-Men are in the background and the new X-Men are bursting through the cover. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that cover's been ripped so many times. It's a Gil Kane, but it's a fucking, it's like probably one of the top ten covers of all time. In yeah, terms I've, seen, of, I've seen it. Well, I've most seen, homaged. Yeah, the, 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 the re, or not the reprints, but the, uh, I don't want to say copies, but. Well, they do those facsimile editions now where they actually recreate it with the ads and everything. I think they've given the giant size X-Men that treatment. So who was in the all-new X-Men besides... I remember Thunderbird. Nightcrawler, Thunderbirds, uh, Colossus, Cyclops, Wolverine, and Storm. Yeah. Rogue wasn't there? In fucking 1975? No. Uh, no. Okay. You never read giant size X-Men number one? Seriously? I'm the one that brought up the fucking island. I remember reading it like one time a long, 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 long time ago. But you thought uh, Rogue was in the book in 1975, I, though? Dude, I haven't read it in years. Ha! What a fucking idiot. <laughs> 
stupid. <laughs> I knew, well, I just, knew Thunderbird was there. Oh, I knew this, what the cover looked like. This <laughs> fucking idiot thinks rogues and giants has X-Men number one. What a fucking idiot. I'm sorry. So, I was just like. Just so stupid. <laughs> hey, what's just, you know, of all the characters to be like, well, that's one of the, the iconic X-Men rogues. Like, well, yeah, I guess eventually, but I mean, well, they, no, they, but Thunderbird's not iconic either. They kill him off pretty fast. I mean, well, okay. Hey, tell us, tell us a little bit. Okay. Really remembers like, so, so tell us this Wolverine. Hey, was Storm. a forge in it too. Was that wasn't oh. Banshee one of them? Yes, he was. Yes, Banshee and Sunfire. Oh, fuck you, Banshee and Sunfire. Yes. Okay, so tell us. Okay, tell us. Tell us about Banshee first. Uh, Irish or Scottish? I never Irish. Irish. Okay, I, I always got him mixed up. I know him and his daughter share the same power, where they scream and are able to float. Yeah, and he screams and he can. I guess the sound waves, like a Banshee, will destroy things. Yep. Yep. Is is he just yelling Angel? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but he already <laughs> one ups Angel because at least he's got the yellow. And the costume's cooler. It is actually, yeah. yeah, yeah he had those cool wingspan. Mm-hmm. It was like green and yellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, I, I was more impartial to Warpath. I thought he just looked cool. The Native American looked cool as shit. Well, Warpath is way too far down the line, though. Tell us a little oh, bit sorry, about Thunderbird. 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 Well, so, what's Thunderbird's brother. deal? Tell us a little bit about him. I mean, he was kind of the muscle man, wasn't he? Like, yeah. I mean, he he had like enhanced senses, enhanced physical capabilities. Uh, he could track. He could fight. He was stronger than average. Uh, he was like sort of like their kind in America where he can do everything better than a regular human but he doesn't mm-hmm. have like one thing where he's like super duper like like one distinctive thing it's just like he's an enhanced human essentially but they had Colossus the on the team at the same time which made yeah, no he sense was the worst. yeah he was the worst Yeah. Uh, and speaking of Colossus isn't he your favorite yes Petro yes I uh, like Petro if you couldn't he's get it from a, the name he's, he's a, a Russian he's a Russian mutant who has the ability to encase his body in a steel form that's what you encase he literally becomes like through, throughout is he, isn't he metal see, throughout I, I, always, I always wondered did he become steel or did his body like was his body wrapped in it? My reckon my 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 re, uh, recollection is that he is composed entirely of organic steel while organic in his steel, colossus okay. form. So throughout his entire body, there's no encasing. You can't pull it off of him. He, he oh, down to the core. He's organic. Because well, the reason I always thought he was a case because when you looked at his head, his hair, it was like almost like a helmet, mm-hmm. which I just thought it was really cool looking. And he had you know he looked like he was made of steel. I remember him from the cartoon mm-hmm. uh, where he's a construction worker doing all the work um he's thought his sister's magic who is a new mutant who goes nut job uh he has a brother who's an evil mutant later on down the line um and that's and I remember him from the original Marvel cartoon that you could only watch on VHS that I remember watching on. Well, are you talking about the, the original X Men? The... That that wall before cat, it smashes him. That's it. Mm-hmm. I I always the segmented steel because he's got like it's 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 not just that he's metal but he's got these lines throughout his body and it, it's it's. Highlights his anatomy, and I always thought that was really specific. It's like nobody else Especially quite looked knuckles. like him. I, yeah. I remember when you would see his hands; you can see like where his knuckles are at, like the joints of his fingers. And I always thought it was cool when him and uh, Juggernaut would fight. Yeah, they would just slug it out. Yeah. Uh, my understanding is the expectation, and that's why he's so prominent on that cover. They thought that he was going to be the breakout character. And if you look at the early issues of the all new, all different X Men after they introduced this new team, they often feature him prominently on like splash pages and stuff. And it's weird because it seems like the 
the strong guy, with the exception of Thing, the strong guy never seems to be the breakout character on super teams. Every team's got one, but they're almost never like the guy. But yeah. you can tell just from looking at this cover, they thought that he was going to be the guy because he was so cool looking. Well, he's like the one in the center of the of the of the cover, right? Like bursting. Yeah, out. he's the one pointing the way. He looks like he's the leader yeah. of the team. He looks uh, super badass. This is like I don't even know if it's underrated. I mean, he, he's just his look is incredible. Except, um, isn't the look also really similar to Mister Sinister's? And Mister Sinister's is even better. I I, I like Mister Sinister a lot, but you're talking about twenty some odd years later. So yeah. uh, I I don't I don't think that it's his fault that somebody decided to ape him. Twenty years later, what are you, what are you talking about? No, Mr. okay, Sinister was ninety five. Uh, eighty eight. So fifteen years later then. No, Giant Sex. Well, so when okay, so when was Colossus' first appearance? I, I was thinking from Giant Size X Men. Number it, one. it is nineteen seventy five. Giant Size X Men number one. And Mister Sinister debuts. I think like eighty seven, eighty eight. Uh, in Uncanny X Men. Okay, well that's not fifteen, but sure. I mean, you know, if you want to fudge the numbers a bit. Okay, so like great. twelve, thirteen years then. Okay, well like ten years. Why well, isn't like ten? That's fine. Um, but yeah, I think the problem. Great though, look. Great look, but I think he's so mild mannered. I think that there was an issue where he's he doesn't have the charisma to to get put over as as the dynamic character that they were looking for. Well, so well, because I always, if anybody really nowadays, if anyone thinks about Colossus, they're going to think of Deadpool two or Deadpool movies, mm-hmm. where he's kind of the goody two shoe. He doesn't curse. And if I remember correctly, wasn't he hooking up with Kitty Pride? Yeah, that happens later on. Well, I mean, I think that they play him being kind of younger. Like, you Dude, know, I always maybe, thought he was at least 20, 21. No, nah, I think he's supposed to be somewhere in the realm of like 18-ish, 19-ish. Which, oh, for, shit, man. Look at him. Does that look like an 18-year-old? Well, that's like a he's like a big athletic guy. He's like six foot four and stuff. So he, he just physical dimensions. He looks big. But he's always real soft-spoken. And he had the soul of the poet an and everything. Yeah. He was an artist. And who would like to draw naked women. It doesn't make up for the fact that he was still romancing a 14-year-old when he was at least 17, 18. That's still too much of an age difference. But, but yeah. Mother Russia, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know what the age of consent is in Mother Russia. So I don't know. Maybe it's a different standard there. Um, so we have to talk about Nightcrawler. Wagner. Another just amazing character design. The son of Mystique. Um, didn't, they ever, didn't they ever discuss who his father is? Well, over the years, they, they finally broke it down to where his dad, I think, was supposed to be the demon Belasco, and his okay. mother is supposed to be Mystique. I mean, I always love the fact that, you know, he would bamp and then teleport. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and I think s- in a later, the a later, smell of brimstone. later on in later stories, they talk about how, because I, I always wonder, where, like, how did his teleport work? And then they later on kind of allude that, well, he's actually teleporting through a demon universe, mm-hmm. jumping in and out of this universe. So when he's bamping on our end, they actually see him in the other universe, which I thought was kind of cool. Kind of an Arrow Flynn type character. He's really in the sword, uh, sword, sword fighting and swashbuckling. Yeah. Swashbuckling. Thank you. Um, I remember his little miniseries where he's like a, on some weird flying whale ship type thing, wasn't he? Yeah, I bought that shit. I remember that. I, I bought that when he was coming out. I just remember there was like a creepy little, like a little chubby version of Nightcrawler that was running around there. Mm-hmm. Or do I, I don't remember that. I, I, I think I'm remembering that correctly. Um, he's very religious in the movies, but I don't remember him being really religious in the comics. No, no. That, that was actually one of the things that was interesting about him. And by the way, he's also, I, I think what's cool about his physical uh, appearance, because being a slightly furry blue guy, he's kind of biting a uh, beast action but yeah. he has these he has only three digits on his hands it's two gigantic fingers and a thumb and then on his feet it's just like two gigantic two, toes two giant thumbs yeah and one and, and of course he's seal. got the tail with a, a, a forked tail and so this guy grew up in like German villages and, and like in a traveling circus and shit and so because he looks demonic people treat him as though he's some sort of a monster but he's actually a devote, devout Catholic to the point where eventually he actually be, becomes ordained as a priest um, mm-hmm. but but you have these, these all these contrasts because he 
looks like a demon, but he he's a devout uh, religious person, but he's also a Domo Care swashbuckler. He just got a lot going on. Love them in Excalibur. Mm. Oh yeah, Alan Davis drew him really well. Yes, love them in Excalibur. So, hey, by the way, Mac, did you, you have Mac, anything else you nothing. want to say about Colossus? I felt like you uh, I cut you off at one point. Oh, I, other than the look, to me, he was just like drywall. Mm. Like I, I don't I don't have any. Hey, other than the fastball special, mm. like oh I, yeah, I, I don't know what the hell Colossus was around for. Other than I do know he had the little thing with uh with Kitty Pratt for a while, which it could or could not be interpreted as fucking weird. Um, other than that, dude, I have no. Oh, and then from Deadpool, like I don't have any other Colossus. Wasn't he moments. also in um, Secret Wars? Oh yeah. Oh, we we discussed we, that. Yeah, I was saying, we <laughs> for about five hours. Wars. Um, I remember. I really remember some of the cool backstories of him in the Marvel Comics Presents. Oh yeah, he that, had a series. That, uh, I think Rick Leonardi drew it. I think maybe Anna Cinti wrote it. Yeah. Well, they they kind of dived into the roots of his Russian upbringing, which was kind of interesting because he does have a brother that turns out to be a really bad villain later on. And then Mac, you on Nightcrawler? Um, Nightcrawler. I just remember around the circles I ran in back in the early '90s. Nightcrawler was the shit. Everybody, everybody loved Nightcrawler. I, I don't know anybody who was like the Nightcrawler character is really lame. Like, no, everybody loved Nightcrawler. Um, I, I don't know if he, I don't know if his popularity was a little before Gambit's took off, but oh yeah, to me, the, oh the, yeah, the, definitely totally before, yeah. right? To yeah. me, he was like just pre Gambit, where he was that guy who wasn't a main X Men, but everybody seemed to love the dude and wanted to see more of him. Um, I, and again, between the look, the powers, uh, I mean, he, he's just so unique. Uh, everybody, everybody loves. And I love the way Alan Cummings portrayed him in the in the movies. Actually, yeah, I love that performance. That was great. Yeah, and actually, the kid who followed him wasn't too bad, but Cummings yeah, was, he was so I mean, he he had the look. Yeah, yeah. But, but Alan Cummings, I, I've always liked that scene whenever he's uh, jumping through the White House to get to the president. Yeah, that was oh, and then you know he uses his tail to grab the knife behind him, and then he he gets shot and he drops the, the knife and just he had this really creepy look and then when you see him later on he's just he's scared of the world you know he has those really weird tattoos engraved in his skin so that's yeah, the thing i cool. wasn't too into but you know um now we, we didn't uh talk about him either because he's not on the cover but sunfire can you tell me a little bit about that guy he's from japan looks like a dragon um i guess you could equate his powers to maybe the human torch yeah yeah another guy flies around and has heat powers heat powers yeah um honestly i'm not really familiar with him i know he He's, had a cool look whenever the age of apocalypse he looked cool mm-hmm. that was a cool looking figure but i really don't know that much about him except that he's from japan he was basically the mutant uh, namor it's like he's he's the imperious you know asshole who doesn't want to play nice with the team and quits them like almost immediately um and he'd been pre-existing he was actually a guy they pulled from earlier issues of x-men um but he, he didn't really take um mm-hmm. i just want and i think probably his biggest claim to fame is he was in a mini series called sunfire and big heroes Six, which eventually led to the creation of the Disney cartoon. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Because uh, nobody ever notices the the Marvel connection, or or they made a point of obscuring that. Um, so I've been saving one of the best ones for last. Uh, we've got to talk about Storm. Storm is the best X Men. Angela Bass. Angela Bass should have played. Should have been. Angela Bass should have played Storm. Yeah. yeah. But that, uh, when I see when I see Angela Bassett speaking or in a movie, I'm like, fuck that Storm. That is Storm. So like, what is Storm's background though? 
Uh, she was a, a, a street kid in Kenya? I think so, yeah. Africa for sure. Yeah. Um, survived on the streets. Well, she was orphaned. Her parents were uh, killed, I think, in a bombing. And that basically okay. the walls of the, of, I think they may have been archaeologists, in fact. And so the, the place they were checking out collapsed on them. They both died. Both of her parents died. She was orphaned and she was trapped in that wreckage. So she developed a, a, yeah, severe claustrophobia. claustrophobia yeah. yeah. And then she had to hustle as a street kid, um, who, who encountered some really bad dudes uh chief among them um i don't remember his his name he was uh, of middle eastern descent but he eventually became known as the shadow king uh but at the time i think he was like trying to rape her and stuff and when she was the little girl and such and she yeah. pretty damn near killed the guy and then uh she was kind of worshipped as a, a goddess wasn't she yeah she eventually she made her way rain. out to the, the less industrialized part of africa and because of her powers which we haven't talked about uh, she eventually gets wor- is worshipped by a tribe as a goddess and she has the ability to manipulate weather um, pretty and cool fly. power. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, well, technically, does she fly or does she just have like an updraft picker up? She can of... control wind, and so she she basically has a cape that uh, acts as a glider, and so she uses her wind powers to to carry herself. Okay, that's that's what I, I don't I didn't think she flew like let's say Superman, where she would just like leap up. She would have kind of a gust of wind pick her up, you know, like she'd do that thing where her eyes would you know white out and the weather would change around her and storms and clouds, and she'd kind of float up. Yeah, talk a little bit more about her look too. Um, well, which look? You have the original look where she has the go-go boots with the tiara thing and the the kind of like a mini cape, or the very cool look where she has the mohawk. She's more punk. Yeah, black leather. That was a great, I mean, she she out of all the X Men, she's always had the coolest looks. Mm-hmm. Which whichever uh, version of Storm you got, but she was always the same. You know, she's you know strong-willed, um, very wise. Like wasn't she always lecturing Cyclops? I know you said they fought earlier, um, but she would always kind of lecture. She was almost. And I remember in the cartoon, she was kind of the mother figure for Jubilee. Um, she ended up marrying Black Panther. Yeah. Can I go back to her, can I go back to her look? Yes, please. Go ahead. The her her dark skin with the white hair is so striking. Like you will never ever mistake Storm for anybody else ever. Well, then her I think her eyes were always white too. Yeah, with the white eyes. Yeah. And then and all like when she was mohawked with the with the Marauders. Uh, I mean, I think that she's just she's been so striking in all of her uh, looks and through all phases of her being an X Men that um or X woman. Uh, like to me that makes Jean Grey even worse right like yes. really really Storm is the female ex person that you give a shit about nobody gives a shit about Jean Grey compared to, to Storm right way more compelling character yes and I, I always loved the way Art Adams drew her he drew her very distinctly she had almost like a, a regal feel to her I feel like Art Adams draws everybody awesome it's kind well, of no, but I, I'm just thinking of certain characters and I always loved the way he drew Storm yeah his his, uh, his Wolverine and Storm I think were probably his two uh, best X-Men his Beast yeah. is great too and arguably the uh, it, it's always down to her and Cyclops as to who is the great team leader, the person who, who most embodies the what the X Men should be, and she's had one one of the longest stretches as a, a team leader of anybody. But she would, cha- if I remember correctly, in the book, she would challenge Xavier's uh, orders, where Scott just kind of followed them like a good soldier. Yeah, making her a more dynamic character. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember that distinctly was kind of cool because she would she would ask why, and he would have to justify what he wanted her to do, and she sometimes would disagree 
agree with him where Scott Summers, it always felt like he got his marching orders and it was his job to get the rest of the team to fall in line with it. Well, and what was interesting with her too is she led the team after Professor X was gone for an extended period of time and they were having some of the worst troubles in terms of uh, persecution, you know, attempted murder against the, uh, the race once again and they were just having a really rough time and so she had to compromise her values in order to help the X-Men get by. But the big difference is she always maintained her personal integrity and she always made sure the X-Men uh, maintained theirs as well in a, in a way where Cyclops, he completely went over to the dark side and Storm just had a, a, a goodness in her she would never allow that to happen to the X-Men or to herself and Cyclops did. And I think it says a lot about those two people that that's how it played out. Um, so interesting origins of the giant size X-Men team. Of course, it, it, it was just an instance where Marvel was trying to you know revive a, a moribund property. And so initially it was Lynn Wein, uh, the writer who's probably best known for creating Swamp Thing and maybe one other character that's pretty well well known. And uh, he teamed up with Dave Cockrum. Cockrum had been an artist on Legion of Superheroes and had taken a team that maybe wasn't the, a priority of DC's and really kind of helped give them a fan base because he is probably one of the single greatest costume designers in all of comics. And he'd been trying to do like a little spinoff team where he designed all these different costumes for them and, and character aspects and stuff and DC just wasn't into it. So when he moved over to Marvel, he brought those designs with him and so I think that's one of the reasons why these characters look so different than anybody else because they're designed to be 30th century like rogue characters and instead they're they're just they're exploding out of this cover looking like nobody else in the then Mar uh, current Marvel universe very interesting yeah that could be it and also the idea that Lynn Wein brought to it was that he wanted to do an update of Blackhawk Blackhawk was one of the most popular comics of the 1940s it was one of the very few comics that was non-Marvel DC that actually survived the collapse of the comic book industry in the 1950s and was continuously published up until the late 60s or 70s. Eventually, DC bought Blackhawk and just continued their adventures for years afterwards. And the big thing with Blackhawk was it was a group of people that were international heroes. Uh, they were all pilots and they all banded together to fight against the Nazis and the Axis powers. From, and they were all from countries that had fallen to the Nazis, so they were trying to liberate uh, their peoples. In, and of course, a lot of the fun of it was, you know, you've got the German guy, you've got the Polish guy, and you've got all these different people from all these different nationalities. You know, you got a Chinese guy, and, and seeing the dynamics of these people from all these different countries with all their little funny accents and such which was you know a selling point back then was that caricature and to a large degree they tried to do the same thing with the X-Men because Storm's from uh, Africa uh, Colossus is from Russia Nightcrawler's from Germany and then there's a Canadian as well and it definitely replicated that dynamic and it, it, it didn't set the world on fire or anything but it definitely started the X-Men suddenly being treated as contenders and I think that uh, you can really contrast the all new all different giant size X-Men against the originals and they, the originals do not fare well by comparison I don't think. Well because they don't have that diversity going on. Well that and all these guys have kind of an origin to some degree. You know Nightcrawler has a much more compelling story than Iceman. Thunderbird even though they don't develop him that much he still comes from a native uh, reservation at a time when the American Indian uh, rights movement was a, a big part of people's thoughts you know it was very much in the media. Uh, you've got uh, and you know Storm's backstory all the stuff that she went through and th these characters just have a lot more going on with them and they they are more diverse and they are from a bunch of different places and uh, we're already doing stuff before Xavier showed up where it felt like the students were all defined by what Xavier made them be. Good point. I, I never thought about that, how, how uh, vanilla the first version of the X-Men were. Yeah. And of course, there is one guy that stands apart from the rest that was also created by Lean and Ween and uh, John Romita, if I recall correctly, design-wise, a fellow who uh, debuted in a, like a two-parter in Incredible Hulk. And they Which I read. Yeah, and a Canadian guy, they decided to draft him in the team so that they have that international flavor that would of course be the 
Wolverine. L- Logan, the Wolverine. Yeah. And I don't want to dwell too much on that guy because literally we could probably do a whole po- podcast on just Wolverine. Uh, and he was not an immediate success. And he, he kind of had the same powers as Thunderbird. What they've said in the past was that they uh, killed off Thunderbird because they wanted to have a death to show that these guys were at working at stakes that the original X-Men hadn't been. And they just felt like Thunderbird didn't have enough interesting powers to keep him around and they, too much of the same as Wolverine because he's got heightened abilities, tracking heightened ability, abilities, tracking and, ability. Yeah. But he also has claws coming out of his fist, three katana swords coming out of his fucking knuckles. And that's a little bit more distinctive than dude who runs fast and jumps high yeah i can see that it is funny though uh the one of the, the most distinctive things about wolverine is his uh, his mask the, the, the big pointy mask and if you look at his original appearances in the incredible hulk he had like a little tiny little like pointy things on his mask but it was it's most more contained basically well, he had whiskers too i think didn't he it, on the original costume yeah. yeah my understanding is that gil kane like misinterpreted a, a, a one design of wolverine and gave him basically batman ears and then cockrum kind of went from there with it because they wanted it to match the cover that Gil Kane had produced and so that's how he ended up with Wolverine and his distinctive pointy mask which turns out to be housing his hair that's in the same position yeah yeah that the dude definitely has and you know it's funny though because did Beast have that hair the pointy hair before or after Wolverine did I think before right yeah I believe before because he had already become the Beast form uh, the blue fur form so Wolverine becomes one of the most popular characters in comics and he stole his hair from the Beast and he stole his costume from Tigra or Hellcat (laughs) Hellcat, yeah. Actually, was was Hellcat around before or after? I thought we established that she was around before in a very, very early early episode of the Marvel Superheroes podcast. Head back into the archive and take a listen. One of my favorites. Um, So we like this team a lot more, right? My favorite version of Wolverine is Patch, not the regular Wolverine. Nah, I'm all about the brown costume. I love the brown and orange costume. Yeah, I always liked Patch. Honestly, that was sort of my jumping off point with Wolverine, is when he got his own solo series, I thought that he never recovered in coolness because they sort of Try, trying to reveal all the mysteries and he just seemed kind of like one note once he got his own series where I no, thought no, he was I, way cooler. I disliked it when they, when they dived into his childhood. I yeah, think. that was bad. That was a bad move. Yeah, I, that's one thing. I, I didn't want the links and all that. that I, was, I was fine with him not knowing his past and he could have been alive for centuries and we don't know and I did like Patch because he was kind of this underground villain kind of character. Yeah, no, when they, when they, re- when they revealed his childhood, I was, that's when I was done. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about X-Men is that, of course, we've been seeing the reunification of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and let's be honest, as much as we love the comic books, the way the general populace, the way the world relates to these characters is generally through media, and especially through these movies. And so we know that now that Disney has bought Fox, they have the rights to the X-Men again. The X-Men have had decades of fairly successful movies, and uh, sort of their own lore. So... One of the things that Marvel has done well is they have a tendency to kind of start from the ground floor and integrate characters into their shared universe. But does that work with the X-Men? Do you, what do you, how do you think that Marvel should approach bringing the X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Should they acknowledge the other movies? Should they start with the original team? Should they start no, with no, the giant no, size team? You start all over. You, you start with after the snap, you know, and people came back. People came back not all the way complete. Their, their genes are mutated somewhat. And so the children are the offshoots 
minutes of everyone that came back from the snap. So how do you explain characters like Apocalypse that have been around for centuries? You just never well, use that's him? That's the thing, though. Apocalypse was the first mutant, but was he really a mutant? Is he more like, you know, a religious character, like a Jesus or something, where he, he's, he was he was always meant to be? Because he's, he's beyond centuries. I mean, you could, you could play up Apocalypse has been around since the beginning of time. He's, you know, a weaker version of a celestial or, you know, something along the lines of that. But I, I, I always thought it would be kind of cool to bring back the mutants with they came back from the snap and all the humans that came back guess what not all of them came back correct some of them were mutated when they were gone and their children are the shot you know the beginning trend of mutants being born that's just me though yeah well not just you i think that was actually a popular internet theory really yeah i think that was making the rounds uh, for a while that. there yeah I, I i literally the day when when they when fox bought it and i was thinking how they're going to bring them back in i thought that would be the only way you could do it because you can't say well all of a sudden there's mutants because then where were they the whole time like they didn't make any sense so i just i always thought that would be the only way to bring them in so if they're bringing them in what x-men do we see in that that introduction um maybe xavier is introduced as a child magneto wait but see, then they it, don't have the same origins yeah well because like, i mean you're saying you want their origins tied into the snapping yeah i mean i you maybe you don't have you don't need a xavier and magneto in this this run you can start off completely fresh but you can have a wolverine a colossus a cyclop they're not they're not going to be tied down with as much uh baggage from the comics i mean there's gonna be a lot of pushback if they go i mean the only other thing you can do is like oh alternate universe there's a there's a tear in the in the multiverse and their mutants are spilling from that one but that'd be kind of i don't know that's I don't yeah. know. I think that I think that's the only way to do it, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to introduce from where you know, if you're going to keep going, but I think the the mutants from the Fox they're done. Like none of those actors are coming back. I don't think any of them want to play. I don't see you know uh, what's his name that played Wolverine. Oh well, um, yeah, he's not coming. Hugh Jackman's not coming out of retirement. Hugh Jackman's yeah. not going to want to play Wolverine again. He's been doing it for over you know over ten years now. Shit, um, twenty man. Was it twenty? Yeah. Jeez, Christ, that's right. That's right. That's right. So I mean, I I don't know. That's I don't know. I, no, that surely. They wouldn't do. Oh, Shield forgot to mention we got another group of do. You know they're not gonna do that, are they? They're not gonna do that. Or to, they've been there the whole time. We forgot, just like we forgot to mention Hank Pym. And then we had to. Oh nope, Hank Pym was around. Oh, we forgot to mention this. You know they're not gonna keep. Uh, doing are that. they gonna do one of those things where all of a sudden they'll 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 play back you know past movies and oh yeah you didn't realize that Cyclops was walking in the background or that was actually Hank Pym that was friends with Peter Parker at the at the high school. Well, uh, I, I mean it, it, like that. that's something that's worth talking about too. Is Oh, another thing that the MCU's done a lot is the retroactive history. It's like, yeah. you, you know, you had the Avengers movie come out in 2012, I think it was, and, you know, you've got Cap and Iron Man and Thor and everything else, and you you sort of know, okay, well, obviously the Thor's been around for centuries, and we know Cap came from the 40s, but you don't necessarily know there's anybody else out there. But as the, the things progress, we get introduced to Ant-Man, and we know that Ant-Man was active in, like, the 1970s and stuff. So we know that there there's more to the Marvel Universe than just the guys who were there in those early stories. Well, X-Men did the same thing. They made a big deal about starting back in first class where, okay, the original X-Men team was back in the 1960s and they were involved with the um, uh, like shuttle launches and shit, which is actually from the original X-Men story is Magneto's uh, bringing attention to mutant kind by um, knocking out attempts at uh, space shuttles. And um, so we, we established, you know, obviously since Magneto was around in the 1940s since he was a child during the Holocaust, he was in a concentration camp. So you just jump to the 60s and this is a person who's you know pushing your early 30s or so and so we've seen these guys age throughout the X-Men movies you know 60s 70s 80s 90s they've, they've worked their way up so do can you fold that history into the 
Marvel Universe, which that's something we would want to do, given that that would maybe diminish some of the other Marvel characters that these X-Men were running around the whole time? I would. I I just feel like they've already done that so much. I, I feel like they got to stop doing that. And now that they have all this multiverse stuff, I feel like that's probably going to be worth Or it just is going to be you start first class like right now. You know what I mean? Like it's just like Peter Parker just got his powers. These mutants are going to just now start getting their powers. And maybe only Professor X has been around for a while. And now he starts discovering these new mutants. No pun intended. So we're starting the X-Men with the original group in 2020, for instance. Right. Like, so the Avengers are start. the Avengers are disappearing and retiring and disappearing in time and whatnot, or becoming, you know, less effective with the Hulk and stuff like that. And so now there's not really an Avengers and now the X-Men start to kind of come up and then maybe some remains of the Sokovia Act is what becomes the new mutant registration act in a future movie or something like that. I don't know, but maybe that's where it is. You can start them all out young. It's, it's not that they've been hidden and we haven't been talking about mutants forever, but it's like a, it's a new it's a new occurrence. So you want it to be related to this happening as well, like the the manifestation of mutants. I mean, not necessarily like uh, no. I think it's just this is just the moment in time where they're at. But really, it wouldn't even be that. It wouldn't even like we're going to get through another phase of the Marvel Universe before the X Men would show up, right? Well, that's the thing. the The current rumors are that they were going to sprinkle X Men in this uh, group of movies. It's sort of like a value added thing. Where it's like, yeah, you've got Shang Chi, but here's a Wolverine cameo or some shit like that. It, it, what I'm hearing now is that they're thinking about doing. And okay. See, I, well, I mean, that's fine. I wonder too. I I, do, I still think there's a sort of a cooling off period because you know. Fox had contracts with these actors and with these producers and such. And of course, Marvel's going to want complete control of the X-Men for their movies. But I'm not sure what contracts are still in effect, sort of like the Universal deal where they still can't do a Hulk movie after all these years because there's still contracts with Universal. So I'm not sure what X-Men stuff they can do and whether or not they can actually even do an X-Men solo movie. They might have to incorporate them into this other stuff in order to use those characters and not have to honor those old contracts. Yeah, that's weird. Surely they got that worked out. Surely they know what they're. I mean, obviously they're gonna know what they're doing here. But I think it is probably. I, I think it, it'd be. You know what? Whatever agreement there is in place, it's probably for the best, so they can have a little cooling off period before they start rebooting this stuff anyway. Um, but yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how they're gonna do it. I'm interested to find out, or maybe I'm not interested. I'm not sure. My thing is, I'm not comfortable with keeping the continuity from Fox. I I, I think you do want to acknowledge that they've got a wealth of history, but just like with Spider-Man, I don't want to actually have that Tobey Maguire shit in my Marvel universe, and I definitely don't want the X-Men running around in the fucking 60s decades before the fucking Avengers. That's bullshit. I, I, you know, I'm just not into that. But because the X-Men as a concept came out early enough in the Marvel Universe, the comic book universe, I do think that they you should acknowledge you know that, that place as well. So my thinking is you've got that first group of X-Men getting put together probably around the same time as you know, Iron Man is debuting in 2008. And we don't see those adventures because these are young kids training in their powers, kind of just like de- developing over the course of those years uh, to become the X-Men. Uh, maybe a few years after. Maybe they, they come out after the Avengers. I'm not sure. But my thinking is you start uh, an X-Men movie with them in like the Savage Land and you know uh, in Media Res where they're fighting Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and they've got fucking Kazar and dinosaurs and everything else. All this crazy shit's happening and you realize these guys uh, you know uh, are, this is a team. Boom. Here's your team. You got the classic five member team right off the bat. And so in the midst of all that shit happening like a really cool Bondian style just jumping you the middle of the action then the snapping happens and all of a sudden Iceman's gone uh, Angel's gone you know most of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are gone and of course the world starts to fall apart after that and Xavier's gone and Magneto's gone that's I think very important because I think that those guys just so dominated the narrative of all those X-Men movies to their detriment because I think people just got fucking sick of those guys after a while and so those guys are gone 
And so they've got the Blackbird in the Savage Land and they like have to give the blob a ride because they're just like, okay, well, we're not going to fight anymore. Uh, you, you need, you want us to drop you in Wisconsin or some shit, you know? <laughs> so they fly back to the Xavier's mansion and since Xavier's gone and he's got all those secrets in his fucking head, they get there, they land the plane. It's like, well, this place is on lockdown and you guys don't live here anymore. And so they got to go off and kind of figure out what their lives are going to be. And, you know, several members of the team and, you know, the place of Cyclops, the father figure is gone. They, they all split up. They got to figure out who they're going to be. And, you know, eventually, you know, since everything's so fucked up by the snapping, everything takes a long time to get settled. Like at least six months to a year. These guys are just like kind of twiddling their thumbs. They, you know, Beast goes on to college. And, you know, because of the snapping, because all these people have died, they're looking for scapegoats. And you've got guys like Trump type people who are like, say, a Bolivar Trask who's pointing at, well, what about these mutants? Maybe they're the reason why this happened. And all these superpowered people are, are dangers and threats and shit. And so while the Avengers are busy just trying to hold shit together with the skeleton crew they've got, you've got uh, X-Men being like the the uh, whipping boys of the Marvel Universe. It's all the fucking mutants' fault. These guys have been percolating in the background for years, and now they're fucking ruining the world, and half the population is gone, and it's their fucking fault. And so you're having all these attacks, and you're having like you know, various evil mutants deciding, fuck you, and, and, and pulling shit, but they don't have the guidance of Magneto either. And then eventually we bring in Maura McTaggart, who, you know, gets to see be there for the reading of Xavier's will, and he she gets access to a bunch of these resources, and so they realize they've got to put a team together to help combat all this these problems we're having. So instead of being stuck with a boring ass original X-Men, you, you do some allusions to them being around. You mention, you know, Magneto grew up in Sokovia, and you allude to the uh, uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch having been part of his terrorist group before they got recruited by Hydra and shit, so you, you kind of establish those connections, but you start the new X-Men movie with the giant-sized team, the team that people really like, uh, except Wolverine. You gotta do at least a story where after the snapping, you know, Mar- the Mark Ruffalo Hulk goes AWOL, goes on a rampage, he goes off and fights Wolverine, but since he's in the government group, he can't be with the X-Men right now because Wolverine is another guy who you have to have around, but I think he has a nasty tendency to dominate and you have to have a reason to kind of seclude him. So he's with Department H, you get the cool fight with him uh, and uh, Hulk, but he's not yet a member of the team because we're focusing on these other guys, and eventually they got to get together and they fight Nefaria, and once again, Thunderbird gets killed at the end of the mission, and maybe that's how they managed to, to attract Wolverine's attention and bring him in, but you have them get together, you know, within the, a year or so of the snapping, and so you know they've got to have these adventures while everybody else is away with the, the surviving members and forming, forging who the X-Men are going to be without the shadow of Xavier and Magneto, and also giving them a reason why the X-Men would matter, because they were some of the guys that were around while, you know, the Avengers were, you know, in dire straits, and uh, gives an opportunity to acknowledge the long history of the X-Men without actually having to plod through all the fucking movies you would need to tell that tale. You can just, like, do little flashbacks and reveries, thinking about their lost members, and of course, you know, once everybody comes back again, then you have, you know, you can basically start to reform those relationships and, and deal with the new dynamics of these guys coming back and, and disrupting the new paradigm that was created in the midst of the five years of the snapping. Take advantage of this big gap of years that we don't necessarily know what happened in. Okay, yeah, I'd be fine with that. I mean, th- that makes the most sense, but we're still sort of doing a semi-flashback movie, I guess, in that case. Yeah. Um, maybe. I don't know. Is it? Yeah, I guess it's still a flashback because Endgame was post-snapping. Um, well, it's kind of cool because yeah, that be way you that. don't necessarily know what the X-Men are doing now, too. And so you can go off and do Shu and Shang-Chi without having to worry about the X-Men because they're kind of doing their shit in the blip years. Yeah, I think that's fine. As long as it's... That, I think that's a, a great way to do it I, like i said i the most i'm reluctant to is oh hey we forgot to mention the x-men have been around for all these years ha 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 
here's Sergeant Fury going, oh, there was an X-Men initiative too. Totally forgot to mention it. That I don't want any of that. So any other way, I, I, I take multiverse over that for real. <laughs> and so the thing is, what you just described, Frank, is the only way I think you would actually like the Marvel movie. And they're probably not going to do that. So they probably won't. probably going to hate it. You're going to hate it. That's why we got a fucking podcast. We can fucking have our own little continuity here for now until they decide what the fuck they're going to do. Sorry for the late release of the episode. We had a few curveballs this week. It was a little bit stressful. It all worked out, though. So Fearless Facebook front facers include DeBeche, Derek William Crabb, Keith G. Baker, Ranger Gord, Roger Preeb, Ryan Daly, and William Barrett Jr. Retweet frantic ones include Dr. Ange, who's out there on the front lines, so spare a thought for the man. Hashtag COVID heroes. Daniel French for Spony Sound Design. And the Peruvian day mayor, Stephen Ray Garza. Keepers of the Favorites Flame include Alan Middleton, Batter Bally, Bakeman Says, R.I.P. USA, No Recourse for Revolution, Between the Pages, Constantine Kotsiris, Dasha Landau, Demi, Doc Strange, Dr. Pop Culture BGSU, Fatima Zora, Fatime Yao Sinkara, Galois Lane, Glass Doll, Jeffrey Brown, Jennifer DeRoss, J.F. Davis, JMT Productions, Lisa Franklin, The List Game, who also sent us a Ben Grimm thing as a groomsman gift from the second Fantastic Four movie, Mike at Send Aliens to Me, Polymer, and Richard G. And finally, the Mary Marvel Marching Society, 20th Century Geek Podcast, 108 Sage, Billy at Excelsior 73, Collected Edition, Dendroka Kalia JP, Dirk Ashton, who added, thanks RSP, Eb Sam, Firestorm Fan, GK Wordsmith, Green Lantern, HG Earth is on Lockdown, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, History of Comics on Film, Iowa's Joe Crawford, The Irredeemable Shag, Jeremy J. Joseph, Kappa Pride Hulk, Keith G. Baker, Marvel Universe Online, who included a clobbering time gift featuring images from the 1960s, I think from the cartoon as well, the Fantastic Four one. Mike Barkatansky, Odell Abner Dracula, Paul Matthew Carr, Randy Caldwell, Resurrections, the Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, Richard Field, Ryan Daly is Waiting for Cthulhu, The Silver Cord, Slangward Scott, Stephen Kinnick, Tim Price Podcrasher, Tony Scipioni, and Warlord Worlds. The Marvel Superheroes podcast is in no way affiliated with or endorsed by Marvel Entertainment. All characters mentioned and audio clips employed are believed covered under fair use with no infringement intended against their copyright holders. The views expressed in this podcast are assumed legitimate, truthful, and solely possessed by the speaker. Cool. And see, that way we've done, we've covered Canvas the X-Men pretty thoroughly. And then we can talk about some of the movies as the 20th anniversaries to come up with that and not have to worry about going into those finer details. We can just say, hey, Halle Berry fucking sucked, right? You know, shit like that. I'm kind of interested to rewatch X1 and X2. Yeah, I I thought we would maybe do the first three as a trilogy and just do it as one podcast. Got them. And whether you watched them again or not, you you remember them well enough so we can bullshit about them. I know. I I do not. Not remember enough about them. I definitely. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to rewatch just, them too. I just don't want to drill enough. down into one like for an entire podcast. I think the first three would be a good overview. Well, no, I can re- I can rewatch the first three. Dark Phoenix, the last one was bad. Yeah, and I, I mean bad. Yeah, where I usually will watch a movie and try to give it most of my attention. I think I walked out of the room like five times. Oh, so, shit. do we need to talk about like how Deadpool's going to weave them into the Marvel universe? We don't need to talk about Deadpool. Let, do we? Nah, I, I, I think we we got enough of uh, no. 
imitation of him during the Colossus bits. I don't want to even fucking deal with Deadpool because that's you know it's popular. But he's the guy where the actor is not going to change. He, right. I think in a lot of ways he might be the fucking bridge. I, I actually, think they're going to do kind of like their version of Black Label, like Marvel Dark or Marvel. I don't, are they really going to integrate him into like he's going to run into Chris fucking Evans? I don't buy it. I think that that's actually probably one of the reasons why New Mutants finally got out of lockdown is because they're like, okay, this movie's already made. We're going to do some shit that's Marvel but not MCU. And so it gives them a license to be like, okay, here's New Mutants. This is not in the MCU. Here's Deadpool 3 and, and whatever else Ryan Reynolds wants to do until he gets bored or too damn old to do it. And then they'll address Deadpool in the MCU. But I think they're going to kind of let those elements of Fox play out. And I don't think you're going to see shit with the mainstream X-Men, including Colossus. I don't think you're going to see Colossus in any more Deadpool movies. I think that they're going to give them like the fucking dregs, like pretty much what they did with X-Force, where it's fucking Domino and shit like that. They'll give them the fucking dregs to play with, to do you know a sequel or two, as long as it's making them money. And then they're just going to forget that shit ever happened and do what they want to do in the MCU. I'd like to see like a long shot and Mojo and those would be interesting. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think that, I mean, look, the, the X-Universe has a real like depth of characters. Yeah. I think that's why people got so fucking frustrated with the Xavier Magneto shit every single movie. Yeah. Um, and then when they finally got to Apocalypse, they fucked all that shit up. So, yeah. yeah the Sinister looking. stuff sounded, I mean, Antonio Banderas playing Mr. Sinister sounded really cool to me. I didn't was know that it was going to be a thing. Oh, was shit, either Hamm? one of those would be interesting. Yeah. Like, I, I, I thought that sounded really interesting. And I mean, they got a fucking, they got a deep bench due to villains they could come up with. Like, you don't have to go Apocalypse. I mean, well, and that's the thing, too. I, I was shitting on the earlier X-Men villains because given that you had like 80, 70, 80 some odd issues. Yeah, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is all right. I mean, dude, you have the villains like the nanny and weird, weird fucking yeah. villains like that. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. We got to get Danny Vito to be like arcade or some shit, right? Or <laughs> Uh, hey, he's still my Wolverine. What the fuck? No, he's Puck. Oh, God damn. <laughs> be Professor X. That'd be good. Or he can be Magneto. No, dude. I, he needs, he needs to be the slug. Your... He needs to be the slug. Toad? He could be Toad? Yeah, Toad. I could see that. Can we just... No, I think it'd take a, you right out of like the fucking a meet movie. The, meet the fucking clumps where Danny DeVito just plays every character in an X-Men movie. <laughs> Shout out to the clumps. All right, guys. I think that's good. Yeah, I think we're good. And see, a lot of the stuff we're talking about now would be more for the movie one anyway. So, yeah, we're cool. The Clumps Podcast. Save it for the Clumps Podcast. Right. Clump. Welcome to Clump a Minute. We cover one minute it, of the Clumps. It's all clumpy here. Right. <laughs> she clumped everywhere. I'm going to go and gargle orange juice and then get in a hyperbolic chamber. <laughs>